podcast listeners. I'm Jill McCormick. And I'm Robin Wall. And you're listening to Afraid Not. This is podcast number 62 with Tanya Loving. Tanya shares an absolutely amazing story with us tonight. And I'm so grateful that she was willing to come onto the podcast to tell us about these things. Tanya is a wife and a mom. She is a grandma. She has the best grandma name ever. She's called Lovey. And how perfect since her last name is Loving. And truthfully, listeners, you're just going to agree with us. She is such a loving person. It just, her compassion is heard in her kindness and how she speaks and what she's been through. She's going to talk about some gritty hard things. Um, there, She's going to talk about some cancer situations, but also about a murder that happened in her family and the forgiveness that it took for her and her family in this instance is only something that God could have given her. So it's a hard listen, but it's important. So stick around and listen in. Hi, Tanya. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for inviting me. We are so thankful for you and your willingness to come and be our podcast interviewee today. Thank you for being on Afraid Not. And would you start us off tonight, Tanya, by introducing yourself to our listeners? Um, I'm Tanya Loving, and I am a mom and a wife. And I work for the school system. Um, My husband and I have been married um, 20, almost 28 years, Um, but we have been together since we were 15. We're high school sweethearts. Um, So sweet. (laughs) um, Yes. Sometimes you just grow up together and that's um, how you get to know each other. (laughs) Um, I, we have two beautiful children, um, Andrea is 25 and has a family married and has a family of her own. Um, we've been blessed with um, God giving us a grandson, Willie Cruz, through adoption and um, just absolutely love him. And then we have a son, Dalton, and his new wife through COVID um, is Avery, and they have a grand pup, um, Forrest. So <laughs> awesome. That is wonderful. So did you grow up around here? No, I actually um, grew up in Arkansas. My dad um, traveled a lot. So I'm originally from Iowa, moved to all over Iowa in different locations, and then moved to Arkansas in elementary school. And that's where I grew up and graduated from. And then I've been um, to Michigan. And then we moved here in 2006 when my husband's job brought us here. It's cool that you've been all over lots of neat places in the country. Wow. Yes, it makes, um, I really didn't like it growing up. It was really hard to fit in a lot of times. And so um, you get used to just kind of going with the flow and being able to go with change and um, learning how to fit in and learn your different atmospheres around you um, Mm -hmm. and learning different cultures and stuff. Because even though it's the United States, up north in Michigan is a total different culture than the South. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So what were some of those differences? Um, I've actually been called a transplant at a PTO meeting um, (laughs) because I wanted to go with a friendlier um, mascot 
in elementary school than what the other one, uh, our original mascot for high school was. And so it's just, um, I feel like it's more faith centered in the South than it is up there and just friendlier in general. Um, don't get me wrong. I have a ton of friends still up there and, but they're actual transplants as well. Um, the little town we lived in for six years, um, St. Joe, Michigan was right on the beach. And so Whirlpool and Bosch and stuff like that had a bunch of different, um, their corporate headquarters were there. And so there was a lot of mixture and diverse people in our neighborhood. So many different cultures were represented. Yeah, that's good. So tell us how you came to know the Lord. Um, Actually, a lot of people may think that I um, grew up knowing the Lord, um, but I am the youngest of four. And like I said, um, our family moved around a lot with my dad's job. And um, as I was growing up, I remember my mom talking about God and, you know, we knew the difference between right and wrong. And my grandmother would talk about God on my mom's side. Um, But we never really went to church because both of my parents were blue collared workers. um, And so they worked a lot. And a lot of times Sundays were not days that they either that was one of their days off to relax or they were working. And so um, we really didn't grow up in church or anything. Um, I remember going to church with friends um, around the neighborhood and it was kind of like, invite a friend and you both get lollipops and, you know, stuff like that. Um, But that was kind of my entire outlook, I guess, on church or my experience with church would be um, just being invited through different friends, even through college. Um, even when David and I dated, which I, I always tell him, I think it's so funny is we dated for six years, but he never really invited me to church with him. He grew up Presbyterian. And so, um, he went on Sundays and, you know, they really didn't, he didn't do worship or the youth group and stuff on Wednesday nights. And so, um, even when we dated for six years, he never really invited me to college or to church with him. And so in college, I had a friend who invited me to a church that was a little bit different and scared the bejesus out of me. Um, (laughs) So I just wasn't quite sure exactly what church really was supposed to be like. Mm -hmm. So um, never was involved in youth groups and never had any friends invite me um, to youth groups and stuff. So right before David and I um, got married to be able to be married in the church and stuff, they recommended that, you know, we be baptized, um, and be members of the church. And so David had previously been baptized and I hadn't, and, um, I wasn't against it and, but I really didn't have a relationship with him. Um, so I had started going to church and a little bit before we got married. Um, and I was 21 and, uh, before we got married, I was sprinkled and, um, became a sister in Christ and knew nothing really about the Bible, um, was asked actually to help someone teach a Sunday school for preschool when Andrea was four. And it was so funny because I go, Oh, I don't know anything about the Bible. How am I supposed to teach if I don't know? And, um, so they were like, oh, that's the best place because they're little kids. Nobody will know. You'll learn (laughs) through that, you know, 
And so um, right before we were supposed to start the Sunday school class, this girl comes up to me that this lady came up to me that was supposed to be teaching and I was supposed to be her assistant came up and said, my mother-in-law has to come live with us. She has Alzheimer's and I can't teach. I need you to teach the class. Oh, and my heart just really scared. Oh my. Yes. My heart just sank. And so, um, I was like, okay, I guess, you know, we'll just dive. It's just like reading a book. We're just going to read a book. Um, so I actually learned how, um, to teach and actually learn the Bible all at one time, teaching four-year-olds, the precious preschoolers, um, (laughs) about the Bible, doing, um, paper mache, um, burning bush and doing little, the velvet, um, stories. Oh, the on, felt boards. Yes. Yes. The felt boards. Um, <laughs> yeah. I remember we were, those felt boards too. Famous. Now, now we're showing our age, but yeah, <laughs> the little it's felt actually, boards. With, Tanya, I wonder if that was actually a pretty great way to be introduced to Bible stories. I mean, you are so, um, safe, like none of those four-year-olds were ever going to question you and you could learn as you went. I think that's pretty sweet actually. And that's actually how I learned it. So all the Bible stories I know, I still think back and I can still remember the little plate with all the red and orange tissue paper on it, talking about Moses taking off his sandals and, um, the burning bush and talking to God and, um, those are the stories that come back to me when, when somebody talks about Moses at first. So that was, that was the beginning of my relationship with Christ. One thing as a parent that my relationship with Christ um, started was after I had my first child, when I had Andrea, I was wanting to be a parent so bad that even before I knew him, I was 18 years old. Um, and I was like, if there is a God, please let me have children, lots of children, because I loved kids growing up and I was afraid that I would be the one that would not be able to have children being the youngest of four. Um, all my siblings had kids and, you know, not knowing the Lord when you're growing up, you make a lot of choices, um, that you probably would not have if you were being guided by the Lord and going to church and learning and having a relationship with him. And Mm -hmm. so um, when my sister had a baby, she wasn't making all the right choices a lot of the times. And my mom and I had her because I was younger staying at home and I would keep her on weekends and stuff. And I just prayed, God, give me lots of children. I remember on my 18th birthday, just crying that. And I was like, if there's a God. Um, So when I finally had my first child and I was just felt like a baby spiritually learning about Christ and my father who loves me, um, when I held her for the first time, I could not imagine the sacrificial love that there was. Yeah. Um, And that was just like, if I love her instantly this much Mm -hmm. and they're telling me that there's a God and a father who loves me more than this, that would give their child up. Mm. That was one thing that just really struck me that, 
okay, I really want my kids to be raised in church. I want them to know about God and I want to know more about God. And I think that just really started um, that passion for me. That's a great picture. Yeah, I, I love that example. So you came to, so when you came to Owasso, you came for your husband's job. And then did you just immediately start working in the school systems? Um, no, actually, um, we waited around for a little bit so I could get the kids acclimated. And we were probably here for about a year before I started working for the Owasso Public Schools. And I actually started at Mills Elementary as a, a library assistant. Mm-hmm. And I only worked half days. And I could not remember any of the kids' names. Everybody would always say, you're so good with memory and knowing people's names now. And I'm like, it is all him. I worked at Mills <laughs> and could not remember a child's name to save my life. Um, <laughs> Two years, I would see the same kids over and over and could not remember them. Um, But now it's like, that's part of my ministry. And knowing their name is important, just like we want people to know who we are. And I think that reaches back to when I was younger and moving around so much is for people to really know who I was and to know my name um, meant that I mattered. And I think... um, going around to different locations all the time with my dad's job, it just kind of felt like you just didn't fit in and you didn't matter because everybody already had their little groups of friends, even at such a young age. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you probably can find those kids at school pretty easy that are either new moving in or just kind of lost as far as finding their place. Yes. And that, yes, that's one of my, my ministries that is just to make everybody feel loved. And I remember, um, you know, when, when you're taking your kids and you've got them in elementary, there's a lot going on. They're not responsible for everything. They're forgetting spelling words and homework. And I forgot my lunch or this was supposed to be signed today. And as working parents, we're in a rush trying to get them to school with everything and trying to have everything ready for our jobs. And I remember those mornings when I would just get frustrated with my kids, even, um, just talking to them in the morning going, what, you forgot your lunch or you didn't do your homework or what, you know, and Mm -hmm. you're upset. And then I look back and see that through the car line a couple of times, the first time I ever did car line duty. And I'm like, oh my goodness, is that what I was like as a parent? (laughs) (laughs) And I felt so bad. And so I'm like, now I stop, you know, and if, if they're having a hard time, I'm like, nope, you need to get back in the car and go talk to your mom and you guys need to work this out. Um, whose lunchbox was it? It wasn't mom's. Don't make her feel bad about leaving it. That's your responsibility too. Or, you know, when they first get out of the car, it's like, it's okay. Whatever happened, it happened, but we're going to make the rest of the day great. You know, mm-hmm. um, we love you. We're glad you're here you forgot your backpack. It's okay. We're not going to make mom go back and get it. It's okay. If it's one day late, it's okay. Um, just trying to heed off the, um, 
the warning signs of we're going to have a bad day and it transfer into the classroom. Um, you, you kind of see those kids that need that little extra love that morning and you just kind of wrap them in that embrace or give them that big smile and call them by name. And, um, one of the things I always say, and I had a kid actually write this as one of his Bible verses and use me as an example and his mom sent it to me, but I always tell him to let their light shine. Like, have a great day. I love you. I'm glad you're here. And let your light shine today. Hmm. That's so uh, That's precious. Yeah, I love that. Yeah, I mean, it's just one of those things that, you know, we can all have a bad day if we choose to. Um, but there's all, you can either let darkness win or you can let light win. And so um, that's how I raised my kids. And that's how I kind of still do with the kids that I have now. That's a great thought for everyone, for kids, but also for me, for all the adults yeah. listening to this, you can either let the light win or you can let the dark dark win. That's a great way to face your day. Just like, I'm going to choose the light today. <laughs> That's good. So tell us about your journey the last few years. Um, the last few years, um, since we moved um, to Owasso, Um, When we came to Owasso, we were looking for a church, first of all, Um, and coming from a Presbyterian church, um, it's a little quieter. My kids, I actually, it's really funny because after being a preschool teacher, when we moved to Michigan, I actually became the Christian ed director, then became the youth director. Wow. (laughs) um, I wanted something for my kids that wasn't me teaching them. Um, And so I wanted something that had a great youth program for them to um, be able to have other people pour into them and to have as mentors um, to be able to see that it's just not mom and dad's faith, that it's um, their faith as well. Right. So we went looking for a church that we loved that had um, basically non-denominational, just a Christian point of view of um, what, Christ wanted for us and make it Bible-based. And so um, when we found um, First Christian Church at the time, and it's now First Church, um, we just fell in love with it. And we wanted to be um, a part of that church. And so we became members. But to do that, um, they believe in what the Bible states. And that is that we do baptism like Jesus does baptism. And I was like, oh, you know, I've already been baptized. I've been sprinkled. Does it really matter? Um But it was amazing the difference that immersion made for me. It was like an entire new cleansing and a passion that was lit right there. It's like, wow, this is this is how Jesus did it. And it's it did make you feel completely new and reborn. And that's all four of us were baptized on the same day, um, July 1st, 2007. Um, and from then on, it was like the world was on fire and just helping with the youth and everything else. Um, I got involved with the youth program and I wanted to be a mentor to young girls for them to know that they were loved, even if they didn't come from a background, um, of going to church and knowing the Lord, I wanted them to know that they were loved. And yes, you may have made mistakes, 
but we all make mistakes and no sin is greater than the other and that we need to make sure that we love everyone regardless of the sin um, because no one is perfect. We are only perfect in being imperfect and um, that Jesus Christ is the only perfect person that walked this earth. And so um, since 2007, I have poured into close to 50 different young ladies that have gone through um, our youth program in my different small groups. And so, so special. That is, that is huge right there. They're having babies now and getting married and it makes me feel really old. (laughs) Yeah. It's I'm like, Whoa, wait, no, you're still that little sixth grader that came up and had questions about the boy, you know, remember that? (laughs) But yeah, it just seems like the more that um, we got thrown into and were on fire for Christ and the passion that I had, it just seemed like Satan was trying to attack us more and more on the outside. Um, In... 2009, I was, um, I went into the hospital for um, abdomen pains and um, for diverticulitis. And the doctor, I was 37 at the time, the doctor said, you're too young for this. You know, I really want to see what's going on in there. And so um, we ran some more tests and the next day he had called me. um, And this is one of my first very close, like, God is right there with us and will never leave us moments. Um, They kept calling and um, couldn't get a hold of me. It was my first day at work at Stone Canyon Elementary, actually. First day of school. Your very first day. Very first day. Um, I remember having to go into George Holderman's office. He was getting ready to go on camera um, the very first day and tell him what the doctors had told me. And yeah. Um, but going to the, see that doctor that day, um, I just told my husband, I said, they don't call you back the next day for good news. Um, and at the time we were going to Bailey medical center, which is right next to our church. And there was a rainbow between the church and the hospital. Mm -hmm. And I remember looking at my husband and saying, whatever we're going into is not good. Mm. But I'm going to call the church and we're going to make sure that somebody's praying for us on the other side because God has got this, but we're going to need all the prayer warriors we can take. And there's just this huge peace. And right now, even my, my arms or the hairs are standing up, but there was just this blanket of peace that went over me. And when we walked in that office and he told me that I had cancer, um, stage one colon cancer. Mm. I just remember going, it's all going to be okay. You know, like I just totally blanked out. My husband was asking questions and I heard the doctor in the background say, do you want a second opinion? You're welcome to get a second opinion. And I turned around and I looked at him and I said, no, God brought you to me for you to find it. You said you can get rid of it. And I trust that God has brought me the right doctor to do that. And so I I tell people jokingly that I had cancer for a week because the next week I had surgery um, to remove it and was in remission because it was very early stages of colon cancer. Okay. Hmm. And I have to say, um, I love it 
that God gave you a rainbow. Oh, yeah. Before you were walking in to get the news. What a beautiful gift. He gave you a rainbow. His promise. Wow. Yes. And just the peace that came with that, like, there are no words to explain that peace. Um, And so from that day on, it was like, okay, God, you saved me. There's a reason for this. And um, we're going to use it. We're going to see where this leads us. And we're going to live life to the fullest. And we're going to do everything we can. And so that started a new journey of bucket list and climbing mountains and making sure um, going to youth Lake and climbing mountains to get to the top, even though it was very hard Um, climbing up over 2000 feet um, and switchbacks to get to the top of um, our mountain at Como, Colorado for youth quake. Very challenging for me um, because I was actually supposed to be going to youth quake the week that I was hospitalized for um, diverticulitis before they found the cancer. Mm -hmm. So um, my first year that I went was 2011. And um, the week that we came back, um, this would probably be what I would use as my frayed knot Mm -hmm. in my life. Um, People would probably call it the cancer. um, But I just say that's just part of having faith and walking the walk that you have to walk sometimes for God to use you. And I will say this, if you ever say, God, use me, (laughs) be ready. (laughs) Um, But um, I had just returned home um, in 2011, the end of July and, um, was actually up at the school, um, trying to help somebody do something at the school when I got a call from my mom and I'm the youngest of four. Um, at this time, I'm the only Christian in my family. Um, I have three older siblings, one brother and two sisters. And, um, The sister that is right before me um, had got mixed up in drugs and the wrong crowd and her daughter kind of took that same path. Mm. Um, And my sister had just been um, taken to women's rehab prison for drugs um, the week before I left for Youthquake. And that day after I came back, I got a call from my mom saying that my 27-year-old niece, whom was seven months pregnant at the time, um, had been murdered. Oh, Oh, how awful. Her husband had told her he had quit selling drugs and hadn't and had... um, sold drugs to a person who um, he tried to, he didn't have enough of his product. So he put fake stuff in it. And the person that he had sold it to was trying to find him. Um, And so 
He was at work one day and his wife and her neighbor were at their apartment with her 15-month-old son being there. Uh Um, And they came looking for him. And the gun went off and killed her almost instantly. And then he shot the next door neighbor and he even um, shot the lady that had come with him to the apartment to show him where it was. Oh my gosh. And I just couldn't believe. Sounds so awful. It is. You never think it's going to happen to you. You, you see those stories on the news and you just don't ever think that's going to happen to you. And my mom called me because my sister, whose daughter was just murdered, is in another state in prison, has no idea. Um, my other sister is breaking down, does not know how to handle it. And here my mom is with a 15-month-old baby and trying to get through it herself. And so the first person she calls is me. So I go into town. My mom and I have always been very close. Um, She's a very strong woman and taught me to be the same. We've always been there for other people. That comes from her always helping others. That's one of her great qualities. And so I knew I just couldn't let her down. And so I got in my car and I went to Arkansas and stayed with her and the they never caught the guy at that time. Um, her husband who had sold the drugs um, was trying to get the baby and we were trying to keep the baby safe in case someone was still trying to come after him. Right. So that night, my mom and I just prayed. That's all I could do with my mom. I said, mom, all I can do is pray with you. I don't, I don't know what else to do. There's, I mean, you're useless at this point, you feel like. But I remember that night before I went to bed, I remember just asking God, please, if there's any hope in this guy's heart, just let him come forward so we can have peace and closure. Just to be able to close the case and know where he's at and that we're safe and that my family can get on mourning the loss that's there. Mm. The next morning, my mom's like, Hey, I really want you to go to the police station with me. We've got to answer some questions. I've got to get her things so I can take the baby to be checked out and, um, and stuff like that. And I said, okay, I've got you. We're going to, we're going to do this. Um, and when we got to the police station that day, the, um, detective in charge was busy and they told us we had to wait. And we sat there for probably 30 minutes or so. And we were just, you know, this is the last place we want to be right now. And finally the detective came out and was talking to us. And he said, "Um, sorry, it's taking us so long to get with you. We're going to, you know, be able to have you come back here in just a minute. But I want you to know that the person that shot your granddaughter is turning himself in, in Michigan right now. Wow. And we're working on having him extradited. 
And that was one of the moments that I was just like, thank you, God. You know, I mean, how do you take that in that he's just had this person have some kind of moral moment to do that? So my mom did not know about my prayer that night. And when we got back to the car, I told her what my prayer had been. And when you lose a loved one to that type of violency and crime, a violent crime like that, the first thing that you want is you want blood for blood. And being only Christian at that time, it was so hard for me to tell my mom, I'm going to refuse the death penalty. I will not go for that. I will go against all of my family because of the prayer that I prayed that God would have hope in his heart Mm -hmm. to turn himself in. And I said, that means God says he's worth it. So I don't care if he stays the rest of his life in jail and he needs to pay for his consequences. That is true. But I will not ask for the death penalty and I cannot stand by you if you do that. Um, so as the year goes on and we finally get to where we're actually having a trial, my sister is still so upset that she thought she still wanted the death penalty. But shortly before that, while she was in rehab, she had been meeting with people from the church and she had given her life to Christ through that because she knew that that was the only way she was going to be able to make it through this. Right. And so when we met with the DA a year later, my family agreed with me that they wouldn't ask for the death penalty. Mm. And his family thanked us because here's a man who made a mistake and it was the darkness of drugs that made him do it. Right. Mm -hmm. But he is also a father and he is a son. And he's got to live with that the rest of his life. Yeah. But I can't take someone else's son or father away from them. And nothing that they do will ever bring her back. He got life in prison without any chance of parole. And in that courtroom, my family forgave him. Oh my goodness. What a powerful moment. Tell us about that moment. What did you say? I described the person that he took away from us, the joy and the beautiful voice that she had and the joy and laughter. She was always a jokester. Um, the mother that she would no longer be, the child that she lost, that we would never get to know. Mm -hmm. But I told him that prayer, that God had hope 
for his heart and that I just hope he used that moment and the time that he had in prison to be able to seek the Lord and seek redemption for what he's done and to be a possible better father and son to his family. And to this day, my mom still writes him. Wow. Um, his family thanked us and he still gets to see his children. But one of the verses I always hold on to through multiple cancer diagnosis and through this journey was that Romans 8.28 says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Mm-hmm. And one of the hardest things, even though my sister started to know the Lord, one of the hardest things for her was to see what God's plan could be out of all that. Her, right. Mm-hmm. And even all these years later, we still struggle sometimes with, we may never see what his plan is. We may never know what an impact that may have. But I can tell you what I have seen is that my sister has found Christ. My mother has found Christ. Mm-hmm. That my great nephew who is now my brother, has found Christ. And they go to church every Sunday. And my mother has worked very hard to be involved in the church and to keep my nephew involved in the church. And he now has a life that he probably would not have had had that not taken place. Because he was headed down the same road with the same type of people because of what his father's choices were. Yeah. So where is his father now? Um, His father is still imprisoned. um, And I believe he may be up for parole um, next year. But he was sent back to prison as a third strike because he was dealing again and the court allowed my mother to adopt him, my nephew so that his name would not be the same as his dad. Cause he was a junior. Mm-hmm. Um, so that that would not follow him the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so it gave a 15 month old child a whole new life, a new start. Yeah. And I have hope knowing that no, I cannot visit my niece and her child here, but I know one day I will see them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We had some opportunities through this, this journey that you've just described where people said, how are you still so hopeful? How are you still, how do you have joy? Because you're such a joyful person. Have you had some 
moments along the way where people just had to stop you and say, I, I don't understand this. <laughs> yes. Um, I had that through my last, when I was diagnosed with breast cancer five years ago, um, people are going, how can you go through this with such a positive attitude? And my only response was, I have to walk by faith that he's brought me here for a reason He's letting me go through this. He's not doing this to me, but he's letting me walk through this. But I know he is with me and I've seen it over and over. And he tried to, in each of the different scenarios, it's like he prepared you. Um, coming back before my niece was murdered, I was just coming back from a great experience of, um, worship and devotion an entire week day and night with the Lord and talking about faith and hope. Mm -hmm. And then before I was diagnosed with my breast cancer, I spent an entire week at church camp getting to know a 12 year breast cancer survivor. As we talked about our different cancers and having kids and how that affects them and what our journeys were for me to come home and three days later, find a mass that wasn't there a week before. Hmm. And I think that he just, we have to be open to listen and to see the people that he puts in our path mm -hmm. to be able to conquer those trials that we have to go through and those valleys. Because it's not us. It's all for him. Our story is his story, no matter what. And to me, I would go through cancer even to this day. I would go through it again. It would be hard to put my family through that again. Mm -hmm. um, that was the number one concern when I was diagnosed. Is I didn't want my family to have to go through that. Yeah. Because we don't want our loved ones to hurt. Yeah. But if there's one person that can see my hope and faith in Christ walking through that, then that journey is worth it. Mm. Because my life was not always good. I did not always make the right choices, but he found me worthy to give his son and to give me a new chance to live for him and to put people in my path to do that. And for me to be that person for someone else, for him to use me, I would do that again. I find it interesting too, that before each of these incidents, you had some sort of encounter almost like something's getting ready to happen. You had the rainbow and then you had the mountaintop experience at camp. And then you had the conversation with the breast cancer survivor all, you know, right before a major crisis. 
Yes. And it's kind of that little, um, in our life group, we call it the shoulder tap. There was a YouTube video that came out um, called the shoulder tap. And it's like, God is telling you to go talk to that person or God is telling you to help that person. And so I'm very aware of those type of things. And my husband gets very frustrated with me, (laughs) but um, I'm, I just keep my eyes open. I ask God to give me the eyes to see what he wants me to see and to be the hands and the feet that he wants me to be. And I think a lot of times he is reaching out to talk to us or to guide us. And sometimes we just shut it down that we don't see because we're so busy. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. Hmm. I think it's very fitting that your last name is loving. <laughs> what My husband always have. said that was hard to live up to as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> so, and so With my last name being Loving, um, my grandma name is Lovey. It's such a good grandma name. (laughs) Yeah. It's one of the greatest joys. And I just hope that my kids, I hope they can see that to be um, open to be able to listen and let God guide them. And I think they've really done a great job. And I'm very proud of both my children and um, how they've done that. And even the girls that I come in contact through my small groups, um, I've had several that have reached out to become teachers and nurses and go to um, Bible college to be missionaries and just do different things. And that's what I told them, just be the best you and just let God guide you to the purpose that he wants you to be, you know, um, yes, because believe it or not, I have an accounting degree. (laughs) 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 So I tell, I tell all the girls when my, we're in small groups, I'm like, I chose my profession before I knew who God was and what God wanted for me. And I think had I gone a different path, I probably would have been a teacher or a counselor. Um, but I think he's got me in the best place that I can be to be there for more kids than being with just 20 or 30 a day. Right. Cause in your position, you're seeing the entire school building. Yes. Um, I get to see them all. I get to, and that was one of the, this, this year is the first year that I became the principal secretary at Stone Canyon elementary. Um, prior to that, I was the building assistant. Um, and when I was asked to take this position, I told Mr. Holderman, the only way I would do it is if he would still allow me to do car duty. Oh, <laughs> uh, love your heart. That is and fantastic. Course, he said, loving, nobody else wants to do that job. <laughs> <laughs> it's all yours. So, but I love it. We start the music, you know, we, I listen to Christian music every morning and we listen to it as they get out of the car and we're dancing and having fun. And, um, I think that's just one of the 
best joys that starts out my day. When we have snow days, my husband's like, why aren't you happy like you are all the time? I'm like, (laughs) I'm not getting my 600 hugs I'm used to getting. I'm only getting one. I'm like, (laughs) you're in the perfect position. Yes. I absolutely love what I do and feel very blessed to be there. The friends that are in Stone Canyon that I've heard such great things about you through those friends. And it's so evident that your love for the students is really one of the building blocks of that school, like a a glue of the school and the way you love them and know their names and give them such absolute sincere welcoming every time you see them. It's made a difference. It's making a difference. And it's an encouragement to me and to all of us listening to remember Mm -hmm. the value and the importance of greeting a a child or a person, everyone, (laughs) no matter what age, with their name and a true welcoming heart. I mean, the power of that, the Lord's using that in your life and in your school. And he wants to use that in our lives too. Well, I hope so. You and your boss have kind of a special connection. Oh, yes. Yes, we do. (laughs) Tell us about the fun connection. Okay. Well, I just have to say I worked there first. Um, I got the job before he became my daughter's (laughs) (laughs) father-in-law. So I have to say the first time Drake really came around our house was when he yarned and toothpaced my yard during... A youth movie night. Um, Yeah. So I did tell him, I said, you know, I pay back, right? Like, I've been in this youth thing long enough to know that if I let this go, you're going to do it again. So because I do work with his dad, I went to uh, school one day and Drake was going to be gone for the passion trip down in Georgia. And I said, Hey, so I pay back and your son toothpaste and yarned my yard. So you've got one of two options. You can give me access to his bedroom or you can clean up your yard. Which would you rather do? (laughs) And he gave me access to the bedroom and, um, the girls and I had a lot of fun for my small group that night going in and we tinseled and yarned his bedroom. <laughs> so when he returned the next morning and early, like it, I think they got home at like five in the morning and all he wanted to do was sleep. There was yarn webbing all over his room tied from curtains and bedposts and drawers and um, hangers in the closet to pictures and deer horns and all that fun stuff in a boy's room. (laughs) (laughs) And there was that little icicle tinsel all underneath his sheets. Oh, no. I think you got it back. (laughs) Yes. And his bed was nicely made. Um, So, yes, of course, Deidre was like, I didn't realize how bad that tears up your vacuum cleaner when they go to clean it up, though. (laughs) (laughs) Is this before he and Andrea started dating? Yes, it was before he and Andrea started dating. Um, That was his sophomore year. 
And Andrea and Drake started dating um, the summer of his senior year, right before he went off to college. Wow. So who knew when you were destroying his bedroom that he was going to be your son-in-law? <laughs> yes. And actually, both my children have married their high school sweethearts. Oh, so it's a legacy. Wow. Yes. Yes. I'm like, you know, you don't have to know someone and date them for six years before you get married, right? That's not a <laughs> They both have, we have been very blessed with our bonus um, family members of Avery and Drake. They are both amazing, amazing spiritual people and God-led. So. What a blessing. Yes. And both of our kids have chosen a path to serve in different um ways. Um, Andrea is a special ed teacher, um, and Drake is the youth minister up at Christ Church of Orinogo um, near Joplin. And then Dalton will be graduating from the Tulsa Police Academy um, in April. Um, and That's his so wife... Cool. Congratulations. Thank you. Him and his wife are building a home here in Owasso. And so um, hopefully as their family grows, we will be around to see them and in the meantime, we will continue to burn the road between here and Joplin every weekend, if need be, to see our grandchildren now. So Lovey needs her grandbabies, yes. <laughs> oh, yes, and we have one on the way. We were recently um, excited to announce that Andrea and Drake will be expecting um, a biological beauty um, in August. So How wonderful. Yes. Well, congratulations. Thank you. And thank you for being so open and honest with us and sharing even through the sorrow of that terrible time of your assurance that God gave you that he is with you. And he even went before you every step of the way. So thank you for sharing and thank you for just being such a, an encouragement to all of us tonight with your story. Well, thank you for asking me to share. I hope it helps somebody else out there know that they're not alone. That's right. Right. And that we we go through dark places, but we can still choose to let our light shine. Right. We we do have a choice to be a victim or not be and to just choose to know that there's a silver lining somewhere and we don't have to know where that's at all the time. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, Tanya. Thank you, Jill. Thank you, Robin, for having me tonight. Thanks so much again to Tanya for sharing all that. That, that was a lot of hard things to talk about. Um, she had some great quotes and some great words of wisdom. Something that I really appreciated was she said, he isn't doing this to me. He is with me. He's walking with me through it. And that our story is his story. So when we're dealing with things that we don't understand, we may not understand it ever on this side of heaven, but it's his story that he's telling and we're, we're just a part of it. Tanya inspired me when she shared, let your light shine. How beautiful, how simple and how powerful. Every day, I wanna make that choice to let my light shine. And you know, it reminded me of 1 Peter 3.15, 
This is always be ready to give a reason for the hope that you have whenever anyone asks you. I feel like Tanya has been such a good example of that. Walking through the tragedy that her family had to live through, it must have felt like they were stuck in some kind of murder mystery. Like how in the world could this be real? And for her to still keep her faith, her hope, her joy, and God was so faithful, and He will be so faithful to you too. Remember to rate and review and subscribe and share with a friend, and we will see you back again in a few weeks. Thanks for listening.